Hello beauties! Welcome to Side by Side with Theta Rose. I'm your host, Theta Rose. I'm an artist, empath, and a relentless optimist. I believe that just being alive is a creative experience, and therefore we are all artists. On this podcast, every week I will explore a different universal theme of human experience and offer you a tool and maybe some gentle wake-up nudges to support the genius that you already are. You can think of this as a contemplative space for reorienting, recontextualizing, and refreshing the party that is your life. You are appreciated and valid, and I love you. Let's get inspired. Hello. All right. So for this first episode of Side by Side, I, and by the way, Side by Side is because like, I'm imagining that you're like sitting here next to me, you know? And also it's because like, even though this is like a one-way listening device and like, as I'm talking right now, I can't hear you. I consider us to be absolutely a hundred percent equal and we are in this together, side by side. All right, so let's get it underway. So for the first theme of the podcast, we are going to be talking about the concept of play. Play, 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 play. All right, so like playing, what do you think of when you think of the word play? Like what if, what are your experiences like now with like playing in your life and like what were they like five years ago 10 years ago what did play mean to you when you were 10 what did play mean to you when you were five do you see where i'm getting with this what's your earliest memory of playing do you have one Oh man, I wish you could tell me. Will you send it to me if you have one? That would be so delightful. I have so many early memories of playing that I don't know which one is which, but I definitely remember spending a lot of time with my Fisher-Price Sioux, which had an elevator and a lion den. And um, man, I was in that world. I was really into it. I also remember, like, I had this, like, huge, like, cardboard box of all my little toys, and I remember, like, climbing in and out of it a lot. Like, the box itself was the game. I mean, we all kind of do that. We've seen, like, pets and small children do that, but I think that might be, like, one of my earliest play memories. So... I think about play a lot, um, and I'm just going to explain, like, how I make sense of what play is and, like, some other things I've heard about play and, like, ideas and concepts around play that are really interesting to me. So what I think play is, is, like, play is, like, the realm of human experience that we exist in when all of our basic needs are met and even sometimes when they're just barely barely met but like if we are fed and we are clothed 
and we have like whatever kind of like medicine support we need or anything like that, like we are playing. We're playing all the time. I think that all of the roles that we assume, like before we have jobs, before like we're we're doing we're doing stuff in the worldly world, like we we are playing. Like and even while we're doing those jobs, we're playing, but we we prepare by them. We prepare for them by playing. And I also believe in like a bigger picture, um, like archetypal psychology kind of way that we are all like creating this world together, like based on like different universal archetypes within ourselves and each other in the collective imagination, which we embody and understand through play. So I was thinking about this, like, I think about like the concept of, you know, like when you were younger and you imagined yourself as an adult, like that projection or like idea of like what an adult was, you were just making that up, right? (laughs) Like you didn't really know. Okay. I do. I want to share this because I think it's really funny and I almost never get like an opportunity to tell anybody this fact about me, but one of my earliest memories is looking at my mom and looking at her pants, (laughs) like looking up at my mom and I was like maybe like 18 months old or something and just thinking like, wow, her pants are so big. Like, and that is just the way she's made. And I am just this. And my pants are way smaller than her pants. Because I didn't know, like, it was before I understood, like, the concept of growing. And that, you know, one day with enough luck and time that I would be an adult also. I didn't get that. I thought that, like, she was built the way she was built. I was built the way I was built. And damn, her pants were big. Okay. So, play, play, play. It's really funny that this is like the first episode that I choose to do because it's actually like, it's a lot of like work to set this up. (laughs) Like, um, and like I'm in this chair and I'm like really self-conscious, like it's very creaky. It's like every time I like move, it makes a sound and I'm like, like feeling a lot of like, oh, this is, I'm doing serious work here. And like this, this needs to be more professional. But at the same time, I'm having a free associative conversation with myself about play. Okay, so where was I going with this? Where were we going with this? I asked you about if you had any early memories of play, and then I told you mine. And then we talked about archetypal psychology a little bit and embodying archetypes. Yeah, so I totally think it's amazing, like, how we, so, yeah, so we, like, when we play, we sort of, like, create and embody the archetypes that we're playing, like, princess or cat, which is one of my favorites, kitty cat, um, dragon, firefighter, all these kind of, like, roles and jobs that like when we're super young children we just jump right into and embody and I feel like 
like my intuition is that when we have those experiences of embodying these like different roles and archetypes and uh, characters in our early, early childhood, like before like seven years old, because that's when we get um, like the ability to really think abstractly. And there's kind there's like this frontal lobe growth that happens around that age that creates like a, a definitive like phase. So like early childhood, you're like absorbing the world, creating like the blueprint of your brain through your daily experiences, through the movements of your body and everything that you're doing. So when you're like playing pretend, you're like creating this core of like what that archetype means and feels like in your body and in your mind. It's totally magical. And it's something that will be at the core of your body mind for the rest of your life, even if it's influenced by culture, even if you like change as you age, as you will, you will always have this like same core connection to the concept of like, what is a monster? What does it mean to play house? Like all of these, all of these things that you pretended are inside of you and helped you create all of those ideas and what that means. And I think that's really cool. I think that's really cool. And when I think about that, like I, I have kind of like a reverence for the experience of early childhood. Like I see it as this very sacred time in which um, our, our most, like the foundation, not the foundation, but like the core blueprint of like our minds and bodies are built by the experiences that are around us. It's really amazing. And that's, that's a scientific thing. I know I just said it in kind of like a hippie, like free associative kind of way, but Montessori wrote about that in like the mid 1800s. And since then with like scientific developments and like ways of like looking at the brain and marking like milestones they they know for sure that that is the way that we grow and that's really cool I think that a question about play that I have because that's such an important part of like our personal evolution as human beings and then I wonder about like what is the role of play like in the bigger picture like in our evolution as a species and I think about like the kind of like climate situation that we're in now, like our relationship with the earth. And I think of like, like how did we, how did we get to this point? And I think of play as, because play is so, integral to our personal evolution as people I think like what is the role of play you know like in our bigger picture species-wide evolution and like how could that affect like the crisis that we're in right now like can play bring our evolution up to speed with the 
damage that we've done to our habitats and can we like offset that damage through maturity and wisdom that we gain through play which segues really nice into what I wanted to talk about next which is this other idea in early childhood education so When I thought about doing an episode about play, I thought about this workshop that I went to years ago by this child advocate and educator, Bev Boss. Look her up. Her name is very appropriate because her name is Bev and also she is the boss. And she has a school outside of Sacramento I think it's called the Rose Community Day School, but I will leave it in the show notes so that you can go check it out. And I went to this workshop and she showed like videos of the school and talked about her philosophy. She is fucking rad. She's so rad. And she has a truly play-based school, truly play-based. It's like this beautiful, peaceful anarchy of young people doing whatever they want to do and they're like not hurting anybody and it's just like they're just learning and you know they're like designing like really complicated engineered um tunnel systems for water play and there's swings everywhere and they're like making potions from fresh herbs that are brought in from the market every day and they're using like real tools and There's spaces for them to like be alone or be super social or ride bikes like like around a track. And it's just like every kind of like gross motor, fine motor, like extroverted, introverted, like any like aspect of play that you can imagine, there is something in the environment that serves it, which is to me just like the ideal of what a school is. Right. And I think about this all the time. I spent a lot of time um, like taking care of babies for a while. I was I was working in a baby room at a daycare. Um, I said it like that because I was about to say corporate daycare because it was a corporate daycare. But then I was like, oh, I don't want to advertise for them. Um So I'm not going to say their name, but I was working in the baby room and it was the first time I'd like been in early childhood for a really long time and like, um, seen a lot of different kinds of like preschools and toddler rooms and stuff. But this was the first time that I worked with babies and babies are really fierce. Babies are really fierce. It totally changed the way that I see babies because, you know, like you don't see babies that often, right? And you, you just like, there's just such a cultural idea that babies are just like the cutest, softest things and they can be, but most of the time, like they are trying their hardest to like gain control of their wiggly bodies that they're like just learning how to gain control of and after they kind of like learn to walk and learn to like move around and stuff they are pushing furniture they're pushing each other they're like babies can be like so aggressive they're like up in each other's space there's like some babies that get like 
uh, like really fixated on another specific baby and just like whatever that baby is doing, they want to be like up in their business. There's some babies that (laughs) are like, like really interested in like what they can like trying to like squish their body between like the bookshelf and the wall. And they'll just like hang out in there. (laughs) Babies are so funny, but before they can even like learn to walk or crawl, they're just like trying so hard to gain control of their like physical body. And it's really inspiring I I would encourage anybody. I mean, does anyone have any experiences like that with babies? Let me know. Let me know if you you are also on team babies or fears. And if you're not on team babies or fears, I encourage you to really like observe a baby next time you're hanging out with one because I think you'll be surprised like how much they are just ready to take over the world. You know, like they're like, ready to use all of the strength that they have that they can possibly muster all right i'm like seeing that i'm at the halfway point so i'm gonna keep moving on okay so beth voss says about play that play is the only thing it's like the only activity that people do that has every condition in it that we need to grow wiser I'm going to read her list of like conditions for growing wiser right now. Belonging, having a sense of belonging, risk, passion, owning power, being present, being productive, being supported or supporting, having solitude, having a mentor or a model, and also being a mentor and a model, a sense of humor, gratification deference, which is like having a long-term and short-term goal, and reseeding, which is giving back, basically, to help the world be better. And underneath it, so there's this is this workbook that um, that she gave out at a workshop, and right underneath it, she has printed out an excerpt of this article by Stuart L. Brown, MD. I don't know who he is, but he wrote an article about play and um, lack of play. And he studied mass murderers and drunk drivers to see what they all have in common. And what they all have in common is a deprivation of play. Okay, so that's really intense. Um, And I just want to read maybe a little bit of an excerpt. Oh, but okay, he also says that most Nobel laureates, historically renowned creative artists, successful multi-career entrepreneurs, and animals of superior intelligence have in common that they play throughout their lives. He says, my studies of violent and antisocial men, murderers, drunk drivers, reveal major play deprivation. Detailed evaluations of other selected comparison populations show the importance of play to their healthy, adaptable development. Thus, play seems necessary as an antidote 
to the development of violent tendencies, as well as a partner to effective socialization. So I would add to that that play is, yes, play is a necessary antidote to the development of violent tendencies towards each other and probably towards the earth. And I mean, and why, why does play have that effect? Why does play make us less violent? My kind of like bigger picture instant response to that is like, well, the nature of everything in the world is creative. And especially in our younger years, we just have this creative energy like flowing through us all the time. We always do. It doesn't stop. It's just that like when our brains are growing, it's kind of extra and our sense of time is different because of that. Like those, those years all feel so much slower because we have so much life force flowing through us and we haven't lived as long. So we have a different perspective on time, but oh my gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. Maybe I said enough there. I'm just going to keep on rolling get a new train. So yeah, I'd really love to hear about people's different experiences with play in their lives. I wanted to tell this quick story. I read this in another article um, by a pediatrician about um, young people who are taught to read before they're developmentally ready. And this kind of connects to play because, I mean, that's a thing that happens in kindergarten. And that's a thing that happens when, like, play play isn't really valued as a legitimate and complete arena of learning. And when that happens, like when, when young people are forced to learn how to read before they are developmentally ready, I know that some young people like really, like sometimes like, like my sister learned how to read when she was three because she super wanted to. And she like asked my mom, like, please like teach me how to read. And then like sat down with like her little books and <laughs> figured it out. She really wanted to. Um, but a lot of students, a lot of young people like aren't ready before they're ready. And this pediatrician in this article was saying that that happens around, like for most people, most people are ready around seven to read. And if a person is forced to read before they are developmentally ready, it can really mess with their like physical development because before seven, you're mostly focused in the right side of your brain. So you're mostly like functioning in this like pure creative experience of your right brain and just like existing and being in your body. And then like, having to learn an abstract concept like reading because letters are like these abstract symbols that mean sounds that's a left brain thing very intensely left brain and so you're going from this like right brain being in your body kind of experience to like 
sitting down, first of all, like sitting down for long periods of time while being taught this extremely left brain activity. And it messes with your right brain functioning later because then you go out to like play and you're like using the left side of your brain. Like I am walking, like I am running. And so a lot of these people, these young people become like super awkward. Like their balance is bad. They're, um, their, it changes, like their feet don't get to grow like with arches, like they'll have, a lot of them will have flat feet. And I was just thinking about that and like how interesting that is the way that like play actually being able to play as much as like we need to like shapes our physicality and then like being deprived of play also can shape our physicality and like, um, and just how powerful it is as a force. In that same, <clears throat> in the same workbook, they said that it's a requirement that NASA has that anybody applying for a job should have the prerequisite of having tinkered as a child. Which I think is interesting. NASA's cool. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting too. Like we live in this culture where people were like, uh, some people are considered creative and some people not. And that kind of like creativity is kind of like put on a pedestal in some ways and kind of like denigrated in other ways as like unnecessary. And I was just thinking about how many, like how connected that is to how we think about play itself and how like like at school play is used like as a reward like in our education system play is used as like candy like it's almost thought of as like this extra treat when really it is the way that we learn it's the heart of the way that we're learning anytime and it's it's so it's so bad <laughs> like i don't know does anyone else feel that way it really rubs me the wrong way when i um when I see like how in elementary school play is really considered frivolous and unnecessary and maybe not unnecessary because everybody knows that they need to go like let kids outside for a while, but that it's not like honored as like the center and core of the education experience, which it is, it is. So how do we, how do we like make a more play centered world? right? Like what is the role of play in your life right now? And how, how can we like center our lives more around play? I do this in a lot of ways. I actually like, because this is something that I've been like living with and thinking on and meditating about like for many years. And because I've like worked in education for so long and with young people for so long, I think about play a lot, but still I have this kind of like trauma of living in a culture that doesn't really value play or like any like fun human experience. But um, I don't know, the way that play shows up in my life is that I make up silly songs a lot about like whatever I'm doing at any given moment. 
And sometimes if I like have writer's block or I'm like stuck in some way, I'll be like, what is like the silliest thing that I could do right now? Like the other day I had that moment. I was like, I need to do something really ridiculous. And I went into like every room of my house and I made a different silly face in each room. And I made silly faces that I've never made before. I also have a thing like when I get really frustrated, I pretend that I'm She-Hulk and that helps me a lot. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just what comes to my mind right now. Maybe I'll write some more things in the show notes, but I wanted to share with you before I go, our time is almost up. goes by so fast. Wow. I wanted to share with you a quick little like visualization. It's a little bit spiritual, but not too far out there. Um, and this is something that I learned from Emilia Ortiz, who is a spiritual teacher in Brooklyn. She's amazing. She has like probably one of my favorite Instagram accounts ever. It's called Ethereal One. I'll put that in the show notes as well. But about a year ago, I learned this quick visualization, kind of like exercise for reconnecting with your inner child. So go ahead and close your eyes and if you're in a place where you can close your eyes, don't close your eyes if you're driving, but try this later if you're driving. But go ahead and close your eyes, take a deep breath, and give yourself a hug. Just like wrap your arms around yourself for a moment and imagine yourself when you were five. And give yourself, give your five-year-old self a hug. And let them know that they are going to have so much fun. And they're going to have so much time to play. You're going to take really, really good care of them. And go ahead and invite them infinitely into your heart. And into your circle of healing. Take a deep breath. All right. Our time is almost up. That was Side by Side with Vita Rose. Thank you for sitting here side by side with me. And I will see you next time. I love you. Bye.